0: You know, I'm. Uh, some asked someone asked uh, a few weeks ago, why do we often have the uh, prayer for people who are under persecution uh, during our prayer time? And uh, the simple answer, honestly, is there's a family in the church that brought up the fact that we should be praying more for our brothers and sisters who are persecuted around the world. They brought it to our attention, and uh, and that's why we started putting it on our prayer time slide. But also the other reason, just a kind of more thoughtful reason is, you know, we are a church of, of many, many nations. Uh, we have people from all around the world that attend IBCD from tw- at, at times over 25 different countries in our past. And we have some folks from countries like Iran and Iraq and who are under persecution, real persecution, not inconvenienced by having to do a few things to get around, you know, COVID regulations, but people who are going to prison people who are being tortured for their faith. And I think it's good for us to be mindful that in the world today we have people who are suffering for their faith who are our brothers and sisters. And there's a scripture that always comes to mind whenever I I see these things like this one today. I always find it humbling. you know, Because I've never faced the kind of persecution that would send me to prison. I've never faced a, a persecution that I'd be tortured for. And to think that this goes on. There's a scripture that says, uh, you know, in the the last day when we stand before judgment, the last will be first and the first will be last. You know, we live in this kind of first world country, Germany, and I come from the U.S. And it's in these first world countries that we don't really understand persecution. It's the folks that are from these countries that are considered last by many in the world that they understand persecution. And, uh, It's humbling to me, and I think it's good for us to be reminded that we have folks out there that need to be prayed for and also to look at our own selves, what we complain about, and ask ourselves, is this really persecution, or is this just inconvenience that I'm complaining about? We're going to continue in the Gospel of Matthew today. That was a little sermonette for free, by the way. We're going to we're continuing the Gospel of Matthew today. And uh, over the years, I've mentioned uh, several times that when I graduated from, from university, I had a few months where I worked for a seed company. And they grew peas for uh, vegetable seed production. And I shared with you, uh, just a few weeks ago, or a few months ago, time flies, that uh, one of the farmers had had an infestation of mustard in his field. And when he was bringing in the seed, it was just, it was just full of mustard seed mixed in with the peas. And I took a bunch of those little uh, mustard seeds and I, and I, put, and I uh, pasted them, glued them to little cards and I gave them out to friends and I, and I wrote on them that Jesus says that faith this size can move mountains. And I just handed it out to folks because I thought it was kind of cool to have that visual representation. And of course, the passage I was referring to is found in Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, which we're going to be looking at more closely today, which says, I tell you the truth, if you have faith, as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, little did I know that I was handing out, as I was handing out those cards over 30 years ago, you know, a man who is young, both in in years as well as faith, and I was handing out with this confidence that comes from ignorance as to what my life was going to be in the next 30 years. There's a certain confidence in young people. This is why, this is why they, they recruit soldiers at a very young age. They believe they're immortal. They're confident. They haven't lived enough life to know, you know that, that they're not immortal. And In the early faith, I was this way. I was super confident in everything. But this verse would later on become one which I would struggle with, sometimes with frustration, sometimes even with anger, And sometimes with despair. Yeah, how's that for an opening to a sermon, huh? You feeling confident and good now? Well, as a pastor, I I do have the privilege to prepare sermons. I like preparing sermons. Not all pastors enjoy that. I'm fortunate. I do enjoy that. I like digging around in the scripture. I like trying to empathize with the people in the Bible to try and feel what they're feeling, to kind of get a sense of, of what that message would feel like coming to you for the first time or coming to me for the first time from Christ. And sometimes sermon preparation is kind of an, it leads to an exercise in theology. And last week, you know, when we explored the meaning behind Jesus saying this, I say to you there are some of you standing here today who will not taste death till they see the son of man coming in his kingdom. If you remember last week it was kind of this exploration of of scripture and understanding the perspective of Christ, the perspective of what it means about the kingdom of God and there's a lot of movement around and I, and I, but it wrapped up. You could clearly find within the scripture how Jesus could make this extraordinary statement that some of the disciples will not see death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom and the extraordinary explanations that are found in the scripture. And if you miss that and you want to know what I'm talking about, I think it's probably online. But this week's different. This week's passage at first blush seems easier to deal with. It doesn't seem quite as theological. It's not, it's not talking about something as big as the kingdom of God, or so it seems. But for me, this is a far more challenging passage. So let's go into it, We'll read it, then we'll talk about it. So this is after uh, Jesus has been transfigured. We've talked briefly about the transfiguration last week. And he's coming down from the mountain. And the disciples come up to him. And this is the story as it picks up. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord have mercy on my son he said he has seizures and is suffering greatly he often falls into the fire or into the water I brought him to your disciples but they could not heal him oh unbelieving and perverse generation Jesus replied how long shall I stay with you how long shall I put up with you bring the boy here to me Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed at that moment then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth, if you had faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move, nothing will be impossible for you. Now, like many of the stories we see in the Gospel of Matthew, this story also has parallels in Mark and in Luke. And again, like last week, they're both in chapter 9, because the the Gospels are telling essentially the same story. There are some differences. For example, Mark includes more of a conversation between the boy's father and Jesus. And this is where the father makes this famous statement, uh, Lord, I believe, help me with my unbelief. And so that's that's in the Mark passage. But it's the same story. Luke is very brief. He gives the least amount of details. But this part here, verses 19 through 20, this is unique to Matthew. This is not found in Mark. It's not found in Luke. This is only found in Matthew, this conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. And when you read it, it seems, you know, I think we've probably all read this passage many times and just kind of move on past it. Faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. Nothing will be impossible for you think about this think about what jesus is declaring here is this how you live is nothing impossible for you is that what you've found in your life nothing is impossible for you what do we do with these declarations do these declarations apply to us or do they only apply apply to the disciples And before you're wondering, like, why would you even ask that? It's interesting that many of the challenging verses in the Bible, over the years, different schools of thought have tried to kind of find their way out of applying those to their lives by saying it no longer really applies to us or it applies only to the disciples. Let me give you an example that you're very familiar with because we use it all the time. Jesus, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, says, All authority on heaven and earth has been given unto me. Therefore, go into all nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, to the end of the age. That's a familiar passage, right? Many of you. It's interesting that in the the in the seven, late 1700s, early 1800s, when you had this school of thought that was beyond Calvinism, it was called hyper Calvinism, and that's that's what it was known as hyper Calvinism. If you study it today. And it was very strongly into this place of being destined by God, predestined by God, to the point where they said that passage no longer applies to us, it only applies to the disciples, because if God destines someone to be saved, then that salvation is irresistible and it is going to happen, whether or not we are involved in it at all through evangelism. And in fact, the guy who is considered the father of modern evangelism or, or the modern missions movement, modern, being now the 1800s, his name was William Carey, and there's a famous little story where he went before the elders of his church, and they were this hyper-Calvinist, saying that he wanted to go and be a missionary, and the, and, the, and the story is, he was told by the elders, sit down, young man. If God wants to save the heathen, he will do it without your help. And it's this idea, right? God is sovereign. He doesn't need your evangelistic efforts. This was only meant for the disciples. And then another passage, which you're probably familiar with, is actually, we went through it in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, which encompasses this thing called the Sermon on the Mount, which is this high moral standard where Jesus says things like, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And in other places, if someone asks for your coat, give them your shirt. If they say, carry my pack a mile, carry it too. You know, this very high moral and there's a different group. They were called the dispensationalists. And dispensation means you kind of live in a certain time period. And in this time period, certain rules apply. You had the dispensation before the flood. You had where There's an agreement between God and humanity. The dispensation after the flood. The dispensation of the Mosaic law. The dispensation of the Davidic Judaism. The dispensation of the church. And they say that the whole Sermon on the Mount doesn't apply to us yet. It is going to be for the dispensation of of the second coming, which makes it easy for us then to not really have to strive for that high morality, because we can say, well, this whole idea of loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you, that's for when Jesus comes back. Right now, feel free to kill whoever bugs you. And that I struggle with. And when I I became uh, aware of these different thoughts, I personally struggle with them. I believe we should be trying to live the high moral ethic of the Sermon on the Mount. I believe we should be uh, seeking to go into all nations. In fact, that's, one of our, that's our, basically our mission statement. It comes from that passage. And we changed it a little bit just this last weekend uh, because we are a church of many nations where it's the mission of IBCT to, to go to share the gospel with all nations and make disciples because that's what we see in that passage there. To reach all nations with the gospel and make disciples. And so I believe we should live these things. But this then becomes a bit of a problem when you have verses like this one where Jesus says, this demon wasn't cast out because you had a little, just you had no faith. And just a mustard seed of faith could make a huge difference. You could tell this mountain to go move from here to there, and it will. Nothing will be impossible for you. And because I believe that the scriptures are meant to be effective in our lives today, Passages like this are challenging because I don't know about you, I've not experienced that nothing is impossible for me. I've prayed many times for people to be healed and I haven't seen any healing. I've yet to to see in my life someone with like a hand that is just withered up and gone like Jesus prayed about for the the man with the withered hand on the on the Sabbath, you know, roll out and become whole. I've never seen a person whose eyes are milky with blindness, have those cleared up. Now I've seen I've prayed for folks and I've seen folks get better and all that, but that kind of thing, someone whose legs are twisted and obviously in, uh, unusable, to have someone like Peter said, "Silver or gold I don't have, but in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk, and that person's legs, must have kind of, you know, and straightened up and grew flesh and muscle and stood up and he walked. I've never seen that. And understand, I've been a Christian for over 30 years and I've walked all the different paths trying to figure out my God. I've walked on the Pentecostal side of things. I've walked on the more liturgical side of things. I've walked, you know, I'm, in, I'm where I am now. And I've never seen the sorts of signs and wonders that we see in the new testament i'm just being honest with you confessing it to you and i have had pentecostal friends and some of you might be pentecostal from your background and they come to, oh we see this all the time but then when i pin them down and i can tell you i've been at these meetings frankly a lot of times there's manipulation going on and these folks that claim to be healed on one day i've visited the next day and they're in that same place of misery they have just got so caught up in the moment it seems And just to throw you into further confusion and crisis, let me tell you this. You know, let's just pile it on today. How many of you have your Bibles open at chapter 17, Matthew chapter 17? Just go ahead if you have your Bibles, especially if they're in English. I want you to look carefully at your scriptures if they're in English. Because I don't know about other translations. Do you have a verse 21? Verse 21. It has brackets. Some of you will have brackets. Some of you won't have it at all. If you have our little uh, blue Bibles that we have for folks that need a Bible, it's not there at all. And that's an interesting passage because what verse 21 says, Jesus follows up this whole thing by saying, this time does not come out except by prayer and fasting. And this verse seems to give us a handle as to what Jesus means about faith that can move mountains. If this verse is in there, this is a faith that is exercised by prayer and fasting. It's a faith which is kind of amped up by prayer and fasting, kind of the mysterious power of of fasting. However, this passage is not included in the most recent biblical versions as the American Standard Version the Contemporary English Version, the English Standard Version, the Holman Christian Standard Version, which was a, a standard, which was a version written by the Southern Baptist Convention, which I come out of, and we're in many things, both positive and negative as the Southern Baptist Convention, but one of the things we are pretty good at is biblical scholarship, and if it's not there, there's a reason why it's not there. The New Century Version, the New International Version, the New Living Translation, the New Revised Standard Version, this verse isn't there or it's bracketed, or it has some kind of footnote attached to it. And do you know why? Because the way biblical scholarship works is that the the older the manuscript is, biblical scholars think, this is just kind of a rule of thumb. This is simplifying this way too much. But the older the manuscript is, the idea is the closer it is to the original. And some folks who are like King James Version only, 1611 King James, King James Version is a fine translation. If you are hardcore into the King James Version, 1611, God bless you, enjoy it. But 1611 was over 400 years ago. And just for a little perspective, what has happened over the last 400 years that we take for granted today? Well, automobiles went from being not even conceived of to being owned by almost everybody. Computers certainly—the area that I can remember when computers didn't exist—and now almost everybody has one, or a laptop, or a tablet, or a smartphone, which has more computing power than the computer which took people to the moon. You have in your pocket. And speaking of going to the moon, in the last 400 years, you know, we went from air flight to being. We were, uh, it was the Wright brothers who managed to fly for a couple hundred yards to. Now we get on an airplane, we fly to the furthest part of the world, watching movies. I mean, the world's changed. And in the last 400 years, there's been a lot of archaeology. Biblical archaeology itself became a science. Then you have biblical archaeology. Incredible discoveries have taken place. In the 1940s, there's this discovery called the Dead Sea Scrolls, which a, a goat herder, in, uh, near the Dead Sea, threw a rock into a cave. He heard some pottery break. He went and investigated it and uncovered one of the greatest biblical archaeological finds ever where they found scriptures of almost all the Old Testament books, except for Hosea, in these jars. And what they assume happened, and there's other writings too that do with this community, is that as this community would use the scriptures called the Qumran community, there's dispute as to exactly what those people were about, When the scriptures would get old, instead of burning them, they would bury them with honor. They would roll them up, put them in a jar, and put them in these caves. And by doing this, they unknowingly set a treasure trove of biblical studies and archaeology. Because we could go back and look at these scriptures which were written over 2,000 years ago and compare them to what we have. And what we found was remarkable, that there was very little, I mean, there was no substantial changes between the the scriptures you have in the Old Testament and what was written 2,000 years ago, which was a surprise to the more liberal scholars because they thought, oh, there's like this big game of telephone and things have changed. Now, we don't find New Testament scriptures in the the Dead Sea area because they weren't a New Testament community, but we have found older and older scriptures, oftentimes in monasteries or in places where the hermits used to live in, in northern Africa. And as we find these older and older scriptures, what scholars say is, well, if there's a passage that is not in the older scriptures, older translations, but it appears in the newer ones, then the assumption is, and this is an assumption, it's not just a simple assumption, but they go through a lot of process, that those verses weren't in there. They were added in later. Let me give you another example, the Lord's Prayer. This, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. If you look in most of your modern translations, you won't find that. And We know when that was added in. So if this is causing your faith to go, oh, then can I trust the Bible at all? Absolutely. We should be thankful that we have a text that is gone over with with a fine-tooth comb again and again and again and again so that you can be sure that what you have in your hands is as close to the originals as possible, and you can trust it. No text has been criticized and studied endlessly as much as the Bible. People don't study, for example, the Quran this, this deeply. Do you know why? Honestly, do you know why? They're afraid. Because there's a lot of problems with the Quran. The Quran thinks that Miriam, the sister of Moses, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, are the same person. They make huge mistakes in the Quran. But no one wants to point that out because no one wants to end up dead. But the Bible has been gone over and gone over and gone over and gone over. So, with this in place, then though, without the verse, this comes out through prayer and fasting. Then what are we left with? I've talked to several people about this passage over this last week because this one—it this, really kind of bothers me. My wife pointed out, "Well, without prayer and fasting, we're back into the, just the place of faith. There's nothing you can really do about it. It's just faith. You can't manipulate the faith. You can't add to it." And I, can, and I understand that because I miss this passage. I love this passage. Because one of the reasons why I love this passage, and I'm going to just be honest with you, one of the reasons why I love this passage is because I can explain the lack of the power in my life by putting the blame on me. I have no problem being the problem. If I look at it and I say, well, I guess I don't pray and obviously don't fast a whole lot. I guess I'm the problem. And you know what? That, that's almost comforting. Because I can explain why I cannot say for me nothing is impossible. Because I can say, well, I don't pray enough, don't fast enough. If I really buckled down and did this, then my life could be this way. But I'm just choosing to be kind of lame. And so, you know, the problem is me. No problem there. But if you take that verse away, the problem isn't just me. And in fact, you kind of get to this place where you wonder what the disciples, you know, what they could do, what Jesus was wanting from them because they come to him and they say, why couldn't we do this? And he says, because you have so little faith. Now, these were the disciples that had witnessed, you know, Jesus raising people from the dead. They had participated in miracles themselves. they had seen the 5,000 fed. They'd seen the 4,000 fed. they had seen Jesus walking on the water. Peter jumped out and walked on the water for a little ways before he began to sink. And again, he's told, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? He had enough faith to get out of the boat and try. I have to kind of wonder if the disciples weren't saying, what do you want from us? How can you say we have no faith or so little faith? What do we do with this? This becomes the problem. If I believe that this applies to our lives today, which I do, then, I, and then I'm in this area Can I really say nothing is impossible for me? And that passage we read out of John, if you remain in me and my word remains in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given unto you. Do you see that happen in your life all the time? Sure, we all have stories of answered prayer. Praise God. I'm not trying to destroy your faith this morning. But I'm trying to have us look at this with reality. This is what's going on so that we can answer it with reality. So what do we do with this? Are our unanswered prayers due to our own lack of faith? Are our unanswered prayers due to something with our relationship with Christ? Well, sometimes the answer to that is yes. Absolutely. Sometimes our sin gets directly in the way to our unanswered prayers. I think as Christians, sometimes we want God to respond to, way, to things in ways which are close to our hearts. But we don't want God looking too close at our heart. You know, I want the Lord to bring a healing into this person's life because I love this person or I care about this person. It's close to my heart. But I don't want the Lord to get too close to my heart. There's a dangerous prayer that King David prayed. He said, search me out, O Lord, and see if there's anything within me that you find, you know, that is uh, something you oppose or something that you are against. That's a dangerous prayer. I encourage you to pray it. But I know that a lot of us will never pray that because we already know what it is the Holy Spirit would bring up in our lives and say, I don't like that. And we know it. But we think we can play this game with God that's like, la, 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 I don't hear you. Therefore, it doesn't apply to my life. I don't want you doing la, 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 I don't want to hear it, Lord. Lord, answer this prayer. A lot of us have that going on. And we expect God to answer deep prayers out of our unrepentant sin. So yeah, sometimes unanswered prayers because we have a place that we are not letting God deal with. And the Holy Spirit has convicted you of it already. Convicted me, I'm a part of this too. Convicted you of it already, but you just don't want to hear it. And yet we expect God to to answer us as though we are as pure as the most innocent of lambs. Like we are, have the child of a, uh, the faith of a child, which has no cynicism, no awareness of, of deep sin when we do. So yeah, sometimes unanswered prayers is because we have a, a block. And yet God at times in His grace, will answer that prayer anyway, and that's great. But I think this is the reason for many unanswered prayers. Our priorities and God's priorities are different. So then, though, this is easy because why? The blame's on us. Again, I have no problem being the problem. If I can say the reason why there's no power, or I don't see the kind of power that you saw in the early church, is because, you know, I, I just have sin in my life that's unconfessed. Because that puts the blame on me. There's no real issue with God that I can't get my head around. I can get my head around my own sin. But Jesus, when he talks to the disciples, he says, they lack faith. I don't think the disciples were in the same place. I mean, yeah, they they didn't have the Spirit yet, and yet still God was working. So if I have the Holy Spirit, it should be even more powerful. I don't know. So then I looked at, well, who does Jesus say has great faith in the, in the gospel of Matthew? There's two people that stand out. He says, these folks have great faith. One was this centurion, and you know the story. The centurion comes and asks Jesus to heal his servant, and Jesus says, well, I'll go and heal him, verse 7. And the centurion gives an interesting reply. He says, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come into my, under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority. This was a military guy. He understood authority. He says, with soldiers under me, I tell this one, go, and he goes. That one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And then by implication, he said, "And Jesus, you have authority. All you have to say is it's going to happen, and it's going to happen. And it says, when Jesus heard this, he was astonished. It must be kind of an amazing thing to astonish the very word of God made flesh. And he said to those following him, who are his disciples, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. And the reason why he points out anyone in Israel with such great faith is because this guy was not of Israel. He was a Gentile. And interestingly, the other person that comes up is also a non-Jewish per- person. I don't think this means that the Jewish, like, all his disciples were Jewish, Jesus was Jewish. It's not an anti-Jewish thing. It's just kind of interesting that from these two people that you wouldn't expect faith to come from, this is where they find it, it's the Canaanite woman. We've talked about her a lot. Recently, you know, she comes and asks for Jesus to, to take care of her daughter because she's demon-possessed. And Jesus, you know, this is, not, this is one of those times you kind of go, huh? when you read the, the passage at first. At first, he ignores her. Then the disciples say, just tell her to go away. She's bugging us. And then Jesus says, you know, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel, and this woman is quick. And she says, she kneels before him and says, help me. And she, he replies, it's not right to take the children's fit, bread and feed it to the dogs. Wow. But again, she's quick, and she says, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And then look, it says, then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And the daughter was healed in that very hour. What do we make of this? I don't know. I don't know. Both of these were very sure of Jesus' capability. You know, that's one thing you see in them. They're, they're, they're kind of without any doubt they believe Jesus can do this. They don't seem to have a shred of doubt. But, but when Jesus rebukes the faith of the disciples, he's not rebuking their faith in him. He doesn't say, because you have so little faith in me. He just says, you have so little faith. It's like they have hardly any faith as to what Jesus can do through them. And that becomes their issue. It's not really a, a problem with believing that Jesus can do something or believing that Jesus you know, truly did die on the cross and rose from the dead, though that hasn't happened yet in the gospel that we're looking at. But it's just the idea that they have very little faith in what Jesus can do through them. And as I've been struggling with this, and honestly, coming to the place I really don't know what to do with this passage, it's kind of a mystery of faith, there's two places that I'm, I'm trying to work through, and, and maybe you're working through it too. One is just that thing. What do you really believe Jesus can do through you? Do you believe Jesus can work through you? Do you believe Jesus can do great things through you? Now, I think a lot of us go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then is he doing great things through you? This is my struggle. Sure, I believe Jesus can do great things through me as long as I remain humble before the Lord. You know, don't get a big head, don't start thinking everything's all about me, which unfortunately happens to people. When great things start to happen through them, uh, there's just this series of of broken ministries in the last several years, particularly from the megachurch movement in the U.S., where these leaders who were big-time leaders, like big book-selling leaders, Bill Hybels, Mark Driscoll, uh, Ravi Zacharias, they're just a train wrecking behind us. Because somewhere, I guess, in their heads, I know for in the case of some documentaries I've I've watched, I never knew any of these people personally, but they're just kind of they are doing great things for the Lord, and then they get sucked into kind of the the celebrity and the money of the whole thing, and then their faith they just make com- horrible decisions, and they're a train wreck, and they leave behind us this wreckage, and it damages people's faith. How many of you listened to Z- Ravi Zacharias in the past? How many of you were disappointed to hear what happened with the story? I think a lot of us were. So is that our hang-up? We don't really believe God can do great things through us, and so we don't try. There's a New Testament passage that says, you do not have because you do not ask. Is this something else? We, I can't help but think, and I, I, I want to be careful to do this, but we have a young man that lives in this house right back here, who is bedridden with a a neurological disease which has affected his whole body. And I wonder sometimes, it, it kind of is in the back of my mind, it's kind of this little itch in the back of my mind. I wonder, why is he there? What does God want from IBCD? We have literally at our doorstep this young man who's never walked, who's in his 20s now has never walked he can't speak he can't connect it seems with other people his mom knows him so well she can connect with him but other than that why is he there i often wonder what is god going to say to us when we're in heaven and not that he'll be angry, but I wonder, what will he say to us about this unique situation we're in? And believe me, this young man has been prayed for and prayed for and prayed for. He has been declared healed. He has had, like this guy in Naaman, the guy who says, you know, I expected them to wave hands over me and do something. He's had that. It's been kind of a painful journey in a lot of ways because then sometimes people say, well, it's a lack of faith on, your, on, on some of us there. It's your fault that this hasn't happened. They misunderstand the scripture where Jesus goes to Galilee and it says that people are saying, well, this is just, this is just the carpenter's son. You know, he's no, no big deal. And then it says Jesus did few miracles there because of their lack of faith. And I used to always read that, that there was some kind of spiritual blockage because of people's lack of faith. But it's interesting, if you read the scripture carefully, it says that Jesus did not do miracles. Not that he could not do miracles. He did not, and I think the reason why he did not is because not many people asked him to do anything because they only saw him as the carpenter's kid. And that's where Jesus does that famous saying, a prophet has no respect in his own homeland because they didn't believe that he could do anything. He wasn't extraordinary to them. It'd be like your next-door neighbor all of a sudden saying they're the Messiah. You'd be like, what? I know this guy. I hear him mow his lawn when he's not supposed to be mowing his lawn. I hear him trying to sing in the backyard, and he's off-key. This guy can't do anything. And so they didn't ask. It's hard for me to admit sometimes that there's aspects of my faith I can't get my head around. I don't know about you, but I've, it's hard for me to admit that. I want to understand because I've committed my life to this and so have you. I've committed my soul to this and so have you. But I suppose if I understood everything about God, he'd be a small God indeed. And I know that's not a very satisfying place to end today. Because I don't really have anything else I can tell you other than I'm still on this journey along with you. I'm on the journey of trying to understand if nothing's impossible for me, then why am I not seeing more victory? And I know a lot of you might think you have answers. Trust me, after 30 years of being in the the faith and as a pastor, I've heard them. All. But it doesn't change the -the boots-on-the-ground reality. And yet, within that, I do believe. I do believe. Lord, help me with my unbelief. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you for your word, and and sometimes your word is very challenging. Sometimes your word is a place that we just kind of have to throw up our hands and say, you know... I don't know. I see what's there, and I see what's in our lives, my life, the church, and Lord, if there is something that is our issue, and I pray you'd make it, you'd reveal it to us. I will pray that scary and dangerous prayer. Seek out our hearts, O Lord. Seek out our church. Seek out Christianity today, which is such a mess in so many different ways. And if there's anything in there which you do not approve of, may you remove it from our lives so that we can know you and understand you and that it can truly be said of us that nothing is impossible because sometimes, Father, this verse, nothing is impossible for you is impossible to understand. So we set this before you, believing in you and knowing that we all still have places to grow and to explore in our faith and as long as we're honest about it, Believe that you will walk us through it. So we lift this up to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have put this high place of possibility into our lives. The faith the size of a mustard seed could move a mountain. That nothing is impossible for us. Help us to live it. And guide us in knowing how to live it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.